All right, entrepreneurs, side hustlers, and startups everywhere, we've got an amazing guest for you today. Uh, this gentleman used to be a neighbor of mine. He is an entrepreneur. He is a genius when it comes to marketing. He's also a very uh, intriguing author with his fourth novel coming out very soon. Meet Rick Bennett. He specializes in guerrilla warfare marketing. Two of his huge successes are he helped to generate massive growth with his marketing strategies within Oracle and Salesforce.com. Amazing stories that he's going to share with us today. Uh, his goal is to find uh, experts and people who are experienced in business looking to grow and to be able to share his point of view on how to help that uh, come to reality. His specialties, market generation for all technology, both hardware and software. He's, got, he's worked with some of the, the top entrepreneurs out of Silicon Valley. And uh, he also has a workshop that he offers for management teams that will leave companies with a vision of how they can do some open field running to capture sales destined for their competition. One of the cool things that you're gonna learn today and a lot of us, you know, think or we start out as entrepreneurs, small business owners, and we feel like we're the genius, the next Steve Jobs, the next Mark Benioff, the next Larry Pace, Sergey Brin. But sometimes it's more effective to be really good at something and get on with a startup that has a rocket ship underneath it and add value in exchange for shares. And Rick's going to show you how that can be more productive, profitable, and have better exponential opportunities than anything else. So Rick, welcome to the show. There are over 32 million businesses in the US and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, so long time, Leo. We, uh, gosh, I moved, out, I moved out of Pepperwood 10 years ago. Oh, really? Where, where'd you move to? I'm up on a mountaintop here in, in Draper, which just is called Suncrest. And oh, so I love Suncrest. We're, yeah. we're above the uh, the inversion most of the time, and I get to sit that here at nice. the pirate cottage and and come up with crazy stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, we're just uh, in Lehigh. My office is right off the freeway in American Fork here, and cool. and so uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. We we serve small business owners at Seven Figures Funding, and. I've uh, been fortunate to provide financing for thousands of them. We've got a fintech uh, app that we're launching, and I'm going to talk to you about that. Maybe we have some synergies, but let's talk about your story. What's your background like, Rick? And what led you eventually? What were some of the key events as you were growing up, going to school that eventually led you to believe, you know what, maybe becoming independent some sort of business owner, entrepreneur uh, is really the way that I want to go. What was sort of your path up that maybe led you towards some of those big decisions? Uh, basically, my mom read Time Magazine. I was uh, living in Wyoming and I worked on ranches uh, herding cattle and baling hay in the summers. And uh, she read Time Magazine and in 1964 or 62, uh, they ran a story about Phillips Academy in Andover, Massachusetts. It's the nation's oldest prep school. And if you, wow. you didn't need to be able to afford to get in, uh, and my dad was an attorney 
in a town, uh, t- 23 attorneys in a town of 10,000 people in Sheridan, Wyoming. And so the income wasn't that great. I passed yeah. the test, went to Andover, and and uh, I suddenly discovered that uh, two things. First, um, common sense was uh, the uh, the most important thing in the world. But one of my roommates was uh, uh, Daryl Salk, who was the uh, his father invented the polio vaccine. And the head of me in class was George W. Bush. And so I was this this farm guy, uh, ranch guy out of Wyoming, and I was way over my head. But uh, that got me into the uh, uh, into that frame of mind. Uh, I eventually uh, got in. I I majored in mathematics. I'm a mathematician by training. And uh, if you learn randomness, you can say as a mathematician, if I can run a test on a small sample and it works, I can run it nationwide. And uh, so that's what I brought with me to uh, uh, the ball game. I, I had a, I, I funded my first company independently. Um, I, I never got investors. What I did is I invented a voice stress analyzer and I went to some people with money and I said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a hundred percent of the income generated from an ad that I run in airline magazines until your initial investment is paid for. And then I'll give you a third of the income from that ad uh, as long as I'm generating ads. And then I I could test the, the, uh, when people called in, I said, uh, uh, what did you, how did you hear about this? And uh, they told me the ad they saw. And so that's what got me, uh, I I could run the company like Howard Hughes. I'm basically unemployable. And uh, I I didn't like having uh, stockholders. And so that was that's why I went independent. Uh, and Howard Hughes did a pretty good job of it, and uh, I got a little lucky. Uh, I, I, I then I started bleeding my own PR. That's the other thing you don't want to do is believe your own press clippings. That's and true. So I, that's I, true. I sold that company and ran for Congress in 1978, and I lost. And so I, Data General called me. I was there. There were my second job out of college. Uh, as a computer salesman. And he said, hey, why don't you come run advertising and PR for us? And so I did that. And in the process, I uh, I was on the steering committee that ran the tax limitation initiative in Massachusetts. And I met a guy named Tony Schwartz. And he destroyed Barry Goldwater in 1964 with his famous Daisy commercial. And it ran one time on one network. And uh, it, it the networks wouldn't run it after that, but it destroyed Goldwater uh, for the presidency. And uh, that was that. Uh, I then moved to Silicon Valley and started my own ad agency. And so, the- so hold on, Rick. So with that first company, you built and sold it. Most people believe they're building a sellable business. And when it comes down to it, it's not actually that sellable for a lot of reasons. When As you were building that business, were you thinking about, oh, I want this business to have a potential exit, to to have it be a sellable asset? Was that part of your strategy or was it something that you just built the business up right to where it could be sellable just without knowing it? You know, uh, I didn't think that deeply about stuff. Um, uh, I was, uh, I wanted to be a star. And uh, from that voice dress analyzer, I was on every major television show, you know, Good Morning America, ABC's Today Show, uh, NBC's Today Show, Tomorrow Show, and uh, I, I was just uh, into this ego thing. In other words, that's why I sold. I ran for Congress because I thought I could be the 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 
yeah, king of the world. I, I was going to be president by the year 2000, as a matter of fact. And uh, oh, you and W were going to be working together. Probably a good thing that I lost <laughs> that race. Uh, and so that's how that's what got me into the entrepreneurship. Uh, but uh, I, I, a guy named Larry Ellison had a $15 million company and he was crazy. And I sat with Larry, uh, a, a, a rabbi friend of mine introduced us. And I sat with, sat with Larry and he said, I don't believe in advertising. And I said, well, you're an idiot. Nobody talks to Larry like that, by the way. And I said, I could prove you wrong with a thousand dollars. He says, so, so wait, so you and Larry Ellison, and if all of y'all don't know who Larry is, he is CEO and founder of Oracle and has what's the highest net worth in terms of billionaires in the world and is a, an incredible entrepreneur and mine. And so you sat down with him and told him he was an idiot. Is that right? Right. And, and I said, for a thousand dollars, I can prove you wrong. I said, for $600, I can buy the front page, a little box ad on the cover of MIS Week magazine, which doesn't exist anymore, uh, as an alternate. Uh, and uh, and uh, we can make the ad look like editorial because they're not used to people running that space yet. And so we the ad read uh, uh, IBM SQL DS and DB2 now available on the PC. And that little story, story call Oracle. And the phone rang off the hook and Larry became an advertising junkie. And so I was his one man ad agency until he hit the billion dollars. And then he said, Bennett, you better go hire a bunch of people. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I'm the man who shot Liberty Valance. Uh, let, let me hire an ad agency for you and I'll be off on my way, which I did. But one of his employees was a guy named Mark Benioff. And Mark said, I wanted to start, I want to do a Salesforce automation company. And so wait, how, how long did you work for Larry? How long did it take? So you scale, helped to scale Oracle. From, from 50 million to a billion in about six years. In about six years. So unbelievable growth. 15 million. Is, and that was in what year was that? Uh, 1984, I joined uh, yes. as an agency. In about 1990, I moved to Seattle in my dream home. And, and how old was Larry approximately when you started working with him? Well, Larry's about two years older than I am. I, I, yeah. I think uh, I'm... I'm 76 now, so he's probably 78 yeah. now. Gotcha, gotcha. So this, so then this was this is about 40 years ago then. Yeah, long time ago. Because, I mean, yeah, biblical time. 40 years—that's 40 years in the wilderness. But uh, then Larry, uh, uh, Larry had an employee named Mark Benioff, and Mark said, "I yes, wanna, he did. I want to start a company that does Salesforce automation." And I. I said, okay, just what the world needs, another Salesforce automation company. I didn't say that to Mark, but I, I said, uh, I'll bet on you, Mark, you're going to do something unique. And he did. And so I did all of Mark's advertising. So, so when, when was that? So you worked with Oracle from 84 to about 90, about 90 build it up yeah. massively. And then when did, when did Oracle IPO? Uh, gosh, 88, 88, 88. So, so here's why Rick Bennett is a genius and why 99% of people out there who are in business, who are entrepreneurs, aren't, you need to pay attention right now. So Rick starts his company and instead of him going out and getting the venture capital and jumping through all the hoops and doing the dog and pony show, you created massive value. You knew you were an expert at guerrilla marketing and helping 
great products. And let's not be mistaken here. Oracle did have a great product. That's why they're still around. That's why they're a multi, I don't know what their market cap is now. It's got to be two, 300 billion. Um, But at that point to grow like that, you said, hey, instead of me, you know, charging all this, you know, I've got to eat, but hey, you know, if I can grow you from X to X, you know, I, I I get some benefit. I have some chips in the game, some shares. How did you how did you think to do that right as as you set this agreement up with Larry? Well, it just happened. It just happened. You know, was it something that he he put out there? Or was it something that you were like, hey, this this is how I work? Nothing happened that way. Uh, yeah. The reality is we met one or two afternoons a week and we okay. recited Top Gun dialogue to each other and somehow ads got produced. We <laughs> Creativity can't exist. Unless- wait, wait, who, who was Maverick and who was Iceman? Oh, we, uh, we, we recited, uh, he wanted to be uh, Maverick all the time and I wanted to be Maverick all the time. So we- we Oh, we, you were both Maverick. We jockeyed, yeah, we jockeyed. But well, uh, now, now, did you guys go watch uh, the new Top Gun uh, last year together? No, no. I, oh, I probably, uh, I you, you should shoot Larry. him a text and go go watch in your theater room. <laughs> well, <laughs> I understand Larry's son, David Ellison, formed Skydance Productions, and they wow. were they have uh, they're one of the big producers in Hollywood now. They do they're all awesome blockbuster movies, and his mm-hmm. daughter Megan Ellison uh, uh, also was a. Uh, a producer, and she won Academy Awards for uh, oh, uh, I forget the movie, but uh, anyhow, Larry Larry's big on movies. In fact, it, 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 it's uh, uh, I helped form the Oracle Air Force. One day we were talking, and and he said, uh, or I said, hey, I just saw a great movie called uh, uh, The Last Starfighter. Why don't we start running ads called The Last DBMS? And we'll have our F-15 shooting down the Ashton Tate triplane. And he said, great, we'll do that. And that's been uh, uh, tremendous success and, and, and growth. By the way, the rule by, for entrepreneurs, and this is, I call Ellison's Law. I didn't come up with it. Larry did. Is you're not allowed to say anything that one of your competitors can say, period. Mm. In other words, if you're going to start a business, uh, it better be unique. In fact, a, a buddy of mine, Christopher Lockhead, calls it category design. You design a category. In other words, when Sony came out with a Walkman, they didn't have a business plan and they didn't say, hey, the market's this big. They said, let's invent a whole new market. Hmm. We, we're going to tell people they need stuff that they they, they don't really know exists yet. And that's that's the, the key to marketing. And that's what Mark Benioff did. Uh, we did a little button for him. Uh, for salesforce.com call it had a button with a line through it that says no software you know like the the the, the uh, yeah. graphic sign and uh, uh, he just invented a whole new category why do you buy software update it worry about computer security when he's going to do it all and all you do is log on and that created the cloud i mean he invented the cloud okay so when did you start working with mark mark's at oracle he left Oracle. I, I probably started working with him about 1990. And uh, so pretty, pretty soon, right after you you finished up with Oracle, you found him a full time ad company to kind of take over for what you had been doing at that right. point. And at that same point, Mark's like, all right, I'm ready to go off and start my own thing. 
So this is in 1990. So so Mark so Mark's pre-revenue. Did you start working with him like right from the the very beginning? Or? Yes, yes, yes. Well, wow. and in fact, he uh, he was never profitable during my time working with him. Yeah. He was spending 42 percent of all of his aver- all of his marketing uh, revenue dollars on advertising and marketing. 42%. I mean, he had a buddy with deep pockets and uh, that, that, that helped him out uh, tremendously. But Mark's also a multi-billionaire now. He and, is. Yeah. Uh, and living in Hawaii, along with Larry, Larry Ellis that has a place in Hawaii too. He bought an island. I was going to say, yeah, Larry's got his own island there in Hawaii. So, so anyhow, so, that, that's, uh, but, but Ellis's law is, is, okay. is you can't break it. You can't simply start a company to do something better than other people. You know, I was writing the Oracle ads in WordStar and Microsoft Word came out and it's a far better word processor, but it absolutely, uh, I was locked in. I didn't want better. I was simply locked into WordStar. What got me involved with uh, uh, WYSIWYG or uh, creating advertising was Quark Express. I could create all my own ads on uh, on uh, on the screen. I didn't have to go to a typesetter. I didn't have to do anything. I just wrote the ads. And instead of uh, taking weeks to produce an ad with photography and everything, I'd use stock photography. And within uh, a few days, in fact, one of the stories with Oracle is uh, uh, my rabbi friend who was working in marketing with Oracle and I were walking uh, the hallways of a computer store, a computer show, and a fellow named Stu Schuster, who was uh, head of development for Informix, came up and said, hey, we we just uh, did a cross-computer query. And uh, so we went back and told Larry Ellison what Informix was doing. And Larry's quote is, and he's verified this in his book, uh, a book written by... Uh, Mike Wilson, uh, he said, I'll be damned if I'm going to get out lied by a bunch of professors from Berkeley. And so I wrote an ad that we, we shipped off on that Monday that ran the following week in, in, in uh, I think, uh, Computer World. And during that week, he shipped, they, they, they came up with a distributed query for Oracle. And so our ad said we were the first Oracle, the first ones to ship the distributed query. And uh, we made history. We were the ones that did it first. And it, and it didn't matter that uh, Informix did it. So uh, the other the other uh, thing is don't let revenge uh, warp your heart. Uh, hmm. Sandy Kurtzig, I, I ran an ad for Oracle starting their manufacturing division. And so what we did is we said, we kick ask, ask computing. Uh, uh, they have an old architecture. They can't do client uh, client server architectures. And uh, when Sandy Kersig, the president of uh, Ask, read that ad, she started crying. I, I interviewed a guy we hired from Ask who was with her when she first saw that ad. And so what Sandy did was she said, "Well, Informix is a better database than Oracle, so I'm a, I'm going to buy Informix." She bought Informix and she pre-announced product that she couldn't ship, which killed their quarter to quarter profitability. Now, Sandy Kersig and, and Ask and Informix eventually got acquired by Computer Associates uh, because uh, you caused them to go crazy. Um, uh, Larry, in a Vanity Fair uh, art, uh, article, said, well, talking about Computer Associates buying Informix, he said, well, every ecosystem needs a, needs a scavenger. 
So, so Rick, I, let's let, let's let's unpack some of the genius here because a lot of people think, oh, marketing's just you know you have to understand the latest platform. You know, for a time there, it was Google Search, then it was Facebook ads, and then it went to YouTube ads, and now YouTube ads is a big thing, and now there's TikTok ads, and so people have all these ideas and they think it's the platform, but there are some you know, attributes and characteristics of successful marketing of what you term guerrilla marketing that are going to be successful and, you know, win campaign after campaign, not only for years to come, but for centuries to come, because you have to understand certain, um, you know, pieces of what it takes to be a successful marketer. So if you were going to unpack you know, what makes a successful ad? I think the first thing you brought up is number one, you got to have a successful product and it has to have a massive competitive advantage. And, you know, a lot of the audience, hopefully you guys have, have read the book, Blue Ocean Strategy, which yeah. is all about creating a blue ocean instead of fighting in that red ocean where everything's all bloody and messy. You create a new product, a new job, something that hasn't been done before and you dominate because it's a better product. But then you still have to sell. You still have to have great marketing. So what are some of the components of very effective guerrilla marketing that are going to be evergreen and work, you know, for time to come? Well, you have to, uh, the rule is, is always the same. You test it on a small sample. And if it works, you can, you can field it like one phone call could turn a $10,000 ad uh, campaign from you name it into a million dollar campaign because yeah. you just field it big. And so that's my mathematician's background. Uh, uh, secondly, you can't say anything anyone else says. And that means that you're not simply selling uh, better, faster, cheaper. You're selling, this is new and nobody else on the world is doing it. And we're the only ones that can do it. And if you can say that, you'll be successful, period. You're now, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm a dinosaur. Uh, uh, my my strength is in the messaging aspect, but also um, I believe that uh, print advertising has now gone to banner advertising, uh, you know, across whatever media you want to pick. And uh, the trick is you've got to measure everything that you do. And that means uh, uh, where did this lead come from? Where did this sale come from? And if uh, you find a, a what I call a media anomaly, then you, uh, you've got a gold mine. Now there is one media anomaly that uh, probably is too big an investment for a startup entrepreneur. And that is the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Just like I got Larry Ellison, that front page of the MIS Week magazine, a little box down in the right-hand corner, uh, you can buy for $110,000 a week uh, an issue, that, that front page on the Wall Street Journal. And so if uh, you've got a, a, a product that you, you want to establish yourself as the, uh, as the king of the world, you, you buy that ad in Wall Street Journal once a week for $110,000, you're going to spend $5 million in the first year, and you're going to take over the whole world, period. Mm. That's my current media anomaly. And Ooh, by the I way, like that. Mark, that's, Mark, that's fantastic. Mark Benioff, uh, uh, used to be in that once a week. Ellison at Oracle used to be in yeah. once a week. Um, that's 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 the current way because if you're on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, no people who take the Wall Street Journal only look at the front page. 
They look at the left-hand column and that tells uh, that's all the, the headline stories for the day. And then they see, maybe they see something really outrageous on the front page. And that, that bottom right-hand corner is gold. It's gold. Mm. You know, and I appreciate you bring up the Wall Street Journal because in my opinion, a lot of the people in my communities, we believe that the Wall Street Journal is kind of one of the, the, the last news sources out there that does a terrific job of trying to be objective and trying to find truth and present you know, equal sides of different issues. And so if you guys have not subscribed to the Wall Street Journal, I highly recommend it. I wake up every morning, go to the bathroom and pull up my phone and read the Wall Street Journal. So now there's another uh, one. Yeah, there's what else you got? One, and that's The Economist magazine. Uh, I, it, I, have, I, have, I, I also subscribe to The Economist because I love their stuff too. It's really daily, I get a daily email at night from The Economist. Yeah, and it me tells too. me everything I want to know about the technology industry. Yeah. Yeah, they they do a terrific job as well. I, I agree. Those are those are the the two for a time. The only two that I subscribe to. Now I've added a few others, but I think they're both fantastic. But let's go back to some of the value bombs you just dropped out of there. And and the first thing you were saying about marketing, and a lot of people screw this up, is you start small and you're testing. You're testing small. Uh, tests here to make sure that they're going to be profitable, that they're going to be work. One of the simplest concepts most people fail at in business is, is it making me money? And with marketing, a lot of the times people and businesses and departments just throw money at different things in the name of branding, but they don't actually know if they're getting results. And if you're tracking everything in, in today's world with technology, it's never been easier to know that your campaign, is it profitable? Is it working? Is it getting traction engagement or is it not? So that's that's huge. That was a big factor, I think, that you brought up. And then the other factor that you brought up is you have to say something that no one else is saying. It sounds simple, but it's not. You have to be in that blue ocean and presenting something in a completely different, unique way with a different, unique product with a better result than anyone in any of the competition. And if you are completely set apart, then that's going to get attention. And if your product is as compelling as your marketing, then you're good to go. And you were very good. So you, you selected, you worked with Larry Oracle, grew that to a billion dollars. And then in 1990, started with Mark. And this is interesting. I actually didn't know that. For some reason, I thought maybe Mark started off in the 2000s and he kind of just rode the whole internet wave. But it sounds like initially Salesforce was this kind of like a, a CD program that you uploaded to your computer or how, how did uh, no, Salesforce it, it was always online. It was always online. You, okay, it was you, always you online. log in and you pay 200 bucks a month per, per seat or, okay. or whatever the amount was. Yeah. And you could get a certain number of months free. And if you prepaid for a year, you got a 50% discount. And that means he got a year's worth of revenue, but he could recognize it a month at a time. But he knew what his revenue was going to be for the year because he had it in the bank. Yes. Well, and he had a recurring revenue model, right? Like the sooner you can have a recurring revenue model and a subscription service that you're offering and product it makes us think so much more predictable. You understand where your margins are going to be, you understand where income is going to be. As long as you're continuing to build on that and you have a low churn rate, then you, you've got a great shot. So you start working with Mark in 1990. How long did you work with him in Salesforce? Uh, until their IPO. And then uh, I vested all my, I, I, he had let me buy my stock in, yeah. in, up front for pennies a share. And uh, then when he went public, I vested it all. And so- there was no more stock options. And so I decided, okay, I was going to go do this with other companies. 
So when did uh, Salesforce IPO? I, you know, I forget. Was I it forget. like in the 2000s or? Oh, yeah, the... yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in the 2000s. Okay. Sounds about right. Wow. That, so, so you worked with, uh, with Mark and Salesforce then for quite a while. Oh yeah. Well, in fact, we still, uh, uh, talk frequently. Uh, uh, he is, uh, quite a unique guy. I, I, I view him as he's kind of, uh, the, uh, the Dalai Lama of, uh, uh he's a Dalai Lama to Larry Ellison's Genghis Khan. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. <laughs> That's a good point. So Larry Ellison is Genghis Khan, and Mark is the you know really really trying to help uh, the community out, and, and well, he's that, the Dalai Lama. Yeah, he okay. spent what uh, hundreds of millions of dollars building the Children's Hospital in San Francisco. I mean, he, he seems like he has a big heart, no question about he, he it. Puts his, he yeah. puts his money where his mouth is and where his heart yeah. is. Yeah, he he really does. That's that's fantastic. So so worked with Mark. So as you transitioned from doing, you know, guerrilla marketing through, you know, more traditional channels, and then it it became an online business primarily. Like that's how Salesforce works, and and you know, I I think everybody's very familiar with Salesforce and has had Salesforce accounts and still still does. So how, how was marketing any different when you started to go to the online component versus you know, some of the traditional forms of media, whether that was billboards, newspapers, TV, what was that transition like? And, or did the same factors and the same characteristics of successful guerrilla marketing continue regardless of the medium? It's re- it was successful regardless of the medium. Uh, basically, when Larry and I would be sitting and he's saying, hey, that's a good idea for a product. Why don't we run an ad? And if people respond to the ad, I'll go build the product. Oh my gosh, that's and so it, smart. It, it would take us uh, probably a month to come up with the ad, field the ad, and then do the results. The same thing can be done today in hours with uh, uh, online advertising and, and like LinkedIn uh, ad, paid ads or Facebook paid ads. Spend a few bucks there and uh, you can do in hours what would take what took Larry and I a month. That's the difference. That's the difference between today and back when I was not a dinosaur anymore. <laughs> uh, that's, that's fantastic. It's just such a value bomb, everybody. You can test something out. And what most people do wrong is they build the product instead of figuring out if there's an, actually a market for it. And if you can go and run in a few ads and you can do it very quickly, just as he said, and find out really in a matter of one to two weeks uh, with a decent, you know, a little small budget of a few thousand dollars, is there a market? Does the market want what, as long as you're targeting the right audience, is there a market for the product I, I want to build? And then if you get the response, you go build it. But what most people do is they spend a fortune building the product only to find out, well, I didn't build the product that the market wanted. And so a, a brilliant value bomb, uh, Rick, that you've laid out for us. Rick, tell us now, this is your amazing career working with two uh, very successful billionaires and helping to build these in, these organizations into the multi-billion dollar conglomerates they are today. 
And then somewhere along the way, you said, ah, I'm going to start writing books. And you're not writing like, you know, business books per se, but these are nonfiction, intriguing no, books. These are, you these are fiction. Fans. These are, uh, excuse me. These are fiction. I, excuse me. I meant they're fiction. Yeah. <laughs> I meant these are, these are fiction books. These aren't nonfiction business books. And right. so how did you make that decision? And uh, tell us a little bit about these books so the audience can check them out. Well, the the uh, the two books that I have out now, uh, one is called Destroying Angel, and the other is called Daddy's Little Felon, or Daddy's Little Felons, and okay. one is a uh, kind of a religious uh, uh, shot. The 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 Destroying Angel is uh, uh, my 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 hero in it is the Destroying Angel, only he doesn't know he's a destroying angel. He was Barabbas, saved crucifixion. Uh, uh, by Jesus being crucified. And so we catch him in chapter one, riding his Harley Davidson across the Golden Gate Bridge. He's been pissed off for about 2000 years. And yeah. he's wondering what, what he's, what he's going to do with his life. And this is, uh, it's one week in his life where he discovers he's a soaring angel. Daddy's Little Felons is just a computer espionage uh, thriller. Uh, and uh, I had a lot of fun writing it. Uh, uh, so, so hold on. So Destroying Angel is Barabbas, who was right there um, getting crucified right right by Jesus, right? And, no, no, and he so, was saved. No. He was saved crucifixion. Oh, the, he, he was the one that, oh, yeah. The they crowd said, give us Barabbas and, and, uh, and crucify yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. That's right. And, that's so right. He, he, uh, he was stumbling across the uh, Jerusalem after the crucifixion. His, he had a beard full of spit because people kept spitting on him. Yeah. And uh, he ran into the home of Joseph of Arimathea, who was giving, yes. who was, and the resurrected Christ was there giving all his buddies their wishes, all the apostles. And yes. so Christ said, hey, Barabbas, we've been waiting for you. What do you want? I've been giving these guys their gifts. And he looked around and he saw John, the revelator, and he said, I'll take what you gave him. And so Christ smiles and he says, okay. John, Barabbas is going to be your buddy. You're not going to die until I come again, and neither will Barabbas. And so that's that. <laughs> that was the prologue. And uh, but it, you know, if you're not into religion, uh, you probably won't like the book. Yeah, but that's almost like Indiana Jones type stuff. So that's kind of cool, regardless. By the so, way, so, the new Indiana Jones awesome. is coming out this uh, this Friday. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. No, I'm excited about that. Number five in the books for Harrison Ford. So Destroying Angel is is uh, Barabbas' story of uh, 2,000 years of history, and and you you uh, catch up with him in, in what year does the uh, does the book take place where you sort of fast uh, forward? Actually, about the year uh, 2000 is when the book came out. Okay, okay. So that, so that right was, there that at was... the uh, millennia. Okay, so but 2000. But I, I gave Larry Ellison a, uh, a cameo uh, appearance in it. Oh, very nice. That's the beauty. You 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 deal with some very interesting people. They can become characters in your book. All right, and then Daddy's Little Felon is 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 give give us the plot for that one. Basically, uh, Judge Pat Bryan. Uh, he, you remember Pat Bryan? He lived in our our, our, our area. Uh, yeah. He was a judge, and I used to take. I was the Explorer Scout leader. I used to take my Explorer Scouts on Fridays to his show cause hearings. A show cause hearing is somebody gets arrested for breaking probation or not meeting the terms of their parole. 
And so it's everything is encapsulated. The, the, uh, the judge, jury, and execution always ta all takes place on that Friday. And so I take my Flora Scouts to hear Pat Bryan. And so I, I dedicated this book to Pat Bryan and his daddy's little felons. Sorry about that. Let's kill this. Fantastic. So, so Rick, what are you working on right now? Right now, I am. I just finished uh, a novel that uh, uh, I'm calling uh, "The Last Will and Testament of of uh, Harley Davidson and His Dog," and basically, Harley Davidson wrote a computer virus. And an alien culture was coming to destroy the earth. They've been looking for us for 2,000 years because we're the ones that killed God. We nailed him to a cross. And, uh, and uh, his virus not only stops the invasion, but it takes over the entire alien culture. And so this computer wizard becomes the de facto emperor of the known universe. And oh, uh, so wow. that, that, that's, that, that's that one. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for an agent for it. And because uh, I think it's too good to simply self-publish. And then the the, the novel. That, that one could become a movie. Well, I'm hoping. Uh, I, in fact, I've got I'm, I'm I've got one producer I'm talking to. But nice. uh, then the uh, the other book, I'm doing a sequel. It's called Daddy's Little Felon. Ah. And this is a 16 year old alien girl who has come to Earth and she's decided to stop human trafficking. And so she. Mm -hmm. She sabotages a, a New York bordello and, uh, and uh, causes all of the patrons and the pimps to become impotent with her like chemistry. That. And yeah. so anyhow, it's, it's, uh, <coughs> um, I'm having fun. This is, this is where I get my ideas in here. Oh, this is good stuff. Now, did you get your ticket to Sound of Freedom? No. Oh, oh. it's... Uh... It's uh, Jim Caviezel, and he is starring as uh, Tim Ballard from the OUR uh, Railroad you've probably heard of. Yeah. Uh, no, I have not. I have not. I, I, I'm, I, my, my next big uh, ticket is going to be uh, 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 Harrison Ford uh, this Friday. Oh, fantastic. So, so yeah, well, well, just based off that message you were just telling me, um, one of the uh, interesting things is there's been brought the light, uh, a, a number of charities that, uh, that we've worked with and contributed to, but one of, but one of them is called OUR Underground uh, Railroad, I think is what it's called. And uh, basically it's this guy uh, uh, from Utah, Tim Ballard, he worked for the CIA for a number of years and right, he I'm, saw I'm, that yeah. these, uh, these young kids, they were turning them into sex slaves at a very young age in South America and other areas. And so he said, we got to do something about it. And the CIA wouldn't authorize him to do it with bureaucracy. And so he started his own nonprofit. And then he started traveling out to these areas and even did uh, one where Tony Robbins went and pretended to be like a, a buyer. And, and they, they would just do uh, they would shut all these uh, networks down and save all these kids. And so it's kind of kind of an interesting uh, message. Very cool uh, charity. Anyway, his the movie about this guy. Is being played by Jim Caviezel. I think it's called Sounds of Freedom that's coming uh, out uh, next week on July 3rd. So that's oh, cool. Uh, well, that's that be my second, my second ticket then. No, I uh, I think all these guys uh, are constrained by legalities. Yeah. And uh, my characters are not constrained by legalities. Exactly. They're absolute felons. 
that's why the, my novel is called That Is Little Felon Again. I like it. They can go uh, places we cannot. Yeah. Or or dare not because we dare don't not. end up uh, uh, on the other side of the bars. True. Very true. So, Rick, you've shared amazing stories and left so much value with the audience. How can the audience connect with you? Well, my email is rick at rickbennett.com. I have a whole bunch of the ads that I've done on my website, rickbennett.com. That is that's amazing. Two, two S and two T's in Bennett. I'm pulling it up now. So that's Rick, R-A-C-K, Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T.com. Yep, there they are. He's He's uh, got amazing uh, proven ads on there, things that you can check out and learn from. And it will literally scroll over for you. Oh, this is fantastic. Moneyball on demand. Oh, this is good stuff. Well, I'm going to check this out. There's the Wall Street Journal one that you were just talking about that's still this uh, amazing. That's what we're looking for. Where are huge opportunities? That is certainly one of them out there. And you're looking for those opportunities where you can have a low risk, high reward and get out to your ideal avatar, customer, client, et cetera. So everyone go to rickbennett.com. That's B-E-N-N-E-T-T.com. And uh, when should we look for your next uh, book release? Uh, as soon as I find an agent that can get me a hardcover deal with a big New York publisher, that will kind of okay. legitimize it. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, everybody, anyone out there, if you're in that uh, industry, let us know. I do have some uh, contacts. I'll see if I can make some uh, email introductions. We have a number of people who will help people get published. You're already a, a published author, so they ought to be able to expedite it, I would I would think. And, and you've got a, a great following and just really unique ideas uh, with your books. I remember your first book, but Daddy's Little Phil, and I was not uh, aware of that one. So I'll definitely have to check that one out. Well, hang in there. And it's good good to reconnect, Leo, and uh, keep it up. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Rick, everybody. And we'll see you next time on the Seven Figures Club podcast. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.